Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. These are the words of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Last week, we followed the Apostle Paul in a very important transition in the book of Romans. We, we, we moved from justification by faith, which is how we are justified. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We are justified by faith. Make no mistake, faith has an object. It has as its object the promise of God, the salvation of God, the work of God, which we call the grace of God. This is why Ephesians... Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that salvation is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. So we made this transition between justification by faith into a life lived by faith. And this is extremely important because as Christians, all of us are called to live a life by faith. How many of you know that the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God? Why is it impossible to please God without faith? Well, it's important that we understand what faith is, but it's impossible to please God without faith because faith is truly trusting God. How could you please God if you don't trust God? How could you please him if you don't trust him? So we're called to live a life by faith. Now, in this transition, we talked about some really important things, including the methods that God uses or the process by which God will use to conform us into his image. We saw it last week in chapter 5 when it says that tribulations come, but tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance bring about proven character, and proven character brings about hope. Proven character, the way that that is, is read is that proven character reinforces the hope that you have that Jesus has bought you with a price. And so when you become more and more like him, your faith grows in a manner of speaking, right? Faith, faith in many ways, church, this is not what you've been taught, I know, but faith in many ways is binary. It is either on or it is off. Why? Because faith is the assurance of something hoped for and the conviction of something not seen. It is not wishful thinking as we have come to know it today. And so to be assured of the hope of God, what God does so that our faith might grow, not that it grows on a scale from 1 to 10, but that our faith grows in areas of our life as we walk with God, God shows us his faithfulness over time. He did this with Abraham. He calls Abraham out of his homeland into a land that he didn't know. Abraham trusted him. 
Abraham's faith grew in a way of speaking about it. Then he calls Abraham to trust him for descendants. Abraham knew that God was faithful in his promise to bring him into a land. He then trusted him. He had faith that he would provide for him offspring. God called Abraham to sacrifice his son on the altar, and he goes through with, or he goes to the altar with his son, knowing that God was faithful before, he was faithful in the, in the travel, he was faithful in the giving of the son, he will be faithful in what he chooses to do with Isaac. So in that way, faith is something that grows, okay? So we, we understand this. But we are called to live a life by faith. We're called to walk by faith. And in in order to understand what it means to walk by faith, we have got to have a proper understanding of faith. How many of you know that in our culture today, we redefine words? We redefine words. There are some words in our culture today that have, as their meaning now, the exact opposite of what they used to be. Did you, did you know that that's the case, right? I've harped on it for many, many years now, all the way back to since we started the church. Faith and love are two of those terms. We have either mystified faith and love or we've misdefined faith and love, okay? So give, let me give you an example of the fact that we've changed meanings in words and that they've changed meaning completely, like they mean something com- just totally different than what they mean. Um, how many of you use the word awful? Awful? Yeah, of course you do. What's that word actually mean in today's culture? It means bad, doesn't it? Oh, that's awful. Don't say that about your wife's cooking. <laughs> Bye. Anyway, so, okay, so here, here's the point. We say awful, it means a bad thing. The word doesn't mean a bad thing. The word wasn't meant for that. The word means full of awe. Awful. Guess what, guys? We actually know this very well. We say things are, wow, that's awfully beautiful. Have you ever heard somebody say that or said that? It's awfully beautiful. You do not mean that's bad beautiful. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't quite make any sense, okay? So it's awfully beautiful. It's so beautiful, it is awe-inspiring, right? So, so we, we have a term like, like that with awful. Um, of course, we, back in the day, we might have said that the sunrise was awful, We don't mean that the sunrise was pitiful today or bad today. We mean that it was full of awe, okay? But over time, that definition, that word has changed, and it's changed quite drastically. So now it means bad. Now, faith and love are the same. They've been changed over time, and we have to recapture them. But there are some words that aren't worth the effort to recapture them. Okay, there's some words that are just not worth the effort, like awful, okay? It's, it's really not worth the effort. So husbands, listen, don't, don't worry about it. Don't try to recapture it. Tomorrow morning, when you roll over in bed and you look at your wife, don't try to recapture the term, okay? And don't say, honey, you look awful today, okay? <laughs> just don't, please don't do it. It's not going to work. It's not going to go well. Some words... Back in the trash can, just just leave them there. But faith and love, because they are biblical terms, because they are terms that we have to live by and we are called to live by them, we need to recapture those terms. When it comes to faith, it means the assurance of something hoped for and the conviction of something not seen. It's the assurance of something hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, which means faith has assurance, faith has conviction, or as the NASB would say, faith has substance and faith has evidence. Faith is a solid thing, okay? It's an absolute inside of our life. That's not what we've been taught, is it? What we've been taught is that faith, first of all, we've been taught that faith is hope. Faith is not hope. 
just in case you were wondering. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It cannot be the same term then, okay? Faith is the substance, it's an absolute of what you hope for, okay? But faith has come to mean hope in our culture, and it's come to mean wishful thinking. So you've probably said this or heard somebody say it. They say, uh, hey, uh, is this going to go well or is this going to go right? And you say, well, I hope so. Do you have any assurance when you say, I hope so? You have no assurance whatsoever. This is the problem with many in the church today. They have no assurance of their salvation because somebody taught them a long time ago that faith was simply wishful thinking. Faith is just crossing your fingers and hoping something is so. That's not faith. So I get into conversations all the time with people and I say, do do you know your eternal destination? Do you know if you're going to go to heaven? Do you know if you'll be with Jesus for eternity? And you know what the most common response I get is? I hope so. Do you want to know what the problem is? Best case scenario, that person has needs a reminder of what faith is. Best case scenario, that person needs to be reminded of what the Bible says. Worst case scenario... They don't have faith at all. Think about it. Faith is the assurance of a thing hoped for. It's the substance. It's the conviction of something not seen. So the assurance of what is hoped for, when we think about Jesus saving us, when we say Jesus has bought me at a price, how sure are we of that? 100% or we don't have assurance. Either he saved us or he didn't. Again, either or, black or white, one or zero, it's binary. Either you believe Jesus saved you or you don't have faith he saved you. Do you understand that concept? So faith is the assurance, and I've shared the illustration before that the chair is, uh, is a perfect example. If this chair is salvation and faith is how we access salvation, it's by grace, it's a gift of God, it's not of ourselves. But if God, the sovereign God of the universe, says the, the entrance into this is faith, What we do is we have full assurance that salvation will hold us. We have full assurance and we sit down, don't we? We rest fully on it. We don't go half on. That's not assurance. That's semi-assurance. But assurance rests in God. We need to recapture this idea. See, when it comes to salvation, we're good with that understanding. But when it comes to walking by faith, all of a sudden we say, I'm not so sure I understand. I'm not so sure I understand. I mean, salvation is a promise, so I can have full assurance God promises and that he comes true. But how do I walk by faith? How do I live out righteousness by faith? It's by going back to the term, by going back to the definition. If it's the assurance of something that is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen or the conviction of things not seen, what we need to remember is that we were bought at a price, church. We were bought, and our sin, our sin, the church has lost sight of this. We have no faith for this today. Our sin was buried at baptism. Did you know that? Our sin was crucified on the cross, and we were buried with Christ in baptism, as was our sin. So Miss Macy Bird gets baptized today, and in the view of our church, just the 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 view of what we, what we believe and how Scripture teaches uh, as we see it, is that baptism is an outward sign of an inward co- condition. It's an outward sign of something that has already taken place. 
Young Macy gave her life to Jesus. She confessed that. But God has called us to baptism. We're called to undergo this. It's a sign. It's, you know, it's an evidence thing. And so it's a sign. And so she went through it. She gave her life to Jesus, and her life was buried with Christ on the cross. And so were all her sins. But here's how deep that is. So were all her sins past. So were all her sins present. And so will all her sins be future because God is that good. He he overcomes all things. Go to Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. I want to show you of the the both direction nature of God's forgiving power. It's just a powerful truth, okay? Starting at verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. What we need to understand is that as Christians, we're not Pelagians, we're not semi-Pelagians. If you don't know what that is, look it up sometime. We believe that man was born sinful. Man is born. David says that I was conceived from my mother's womb in unrighteousness, okay? Now, why did sin enter into the world for all people? Because Adam ushered sin in. What ushered in after sin was ushered in? Death was ushered in. Now, why does death spread to all men? It's important for us to know this. Why does death spread to all men? That verse says, because all sinned. All sinned. Can I have a show of hands? How many of you have sinned in your life? And those of you without your hand up, you're sinning right now by lying. Okay, so it's, this is, it's, it's an awesome universal way to do this. Okay, so awesome. Now you can raise your hand next time. Mark Ryan didn't raise his hand, I, I figured. Anyway, so the, so the point is, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what Romans 3.23 tells us, okay? So Paul goes on from this. He says, death spread to all men because Adam sinned. No, because all sinned. Death was present, we were sinners, but we do what sinners do, we sin. Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Verse 14, nevertheless, even though sin is not imputed where there is no law, make no worry, everybody still sinned. Death reigned because all sinned, the previous verse. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even though those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, even though they had not sinned in the likeness of Adam. It didn't say they didn't sin. It said they didn't sin in the likeness of Adam. There's a couple of ways that we might look at that. They didn't have access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, did they? No, they were booted from the garden. So they can't sin in the likeness of Adam, but they do sin. They do violate God's uh, uh, creation standards, who he is from a creation order perspective. So we've all sinned. Death entered because of, uh, sin entered because of Adam. Death enters because of sin. Death reigns over all because all sin. Even though we didn't sin in the likeness of Adam, we've all sinned. Adam, who is a type of the one to come. Adam, the first Adam. Jesus, the second Adam. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression the one the, of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Now, if you have studied this or if you like to study these things, which you should like to study these things, but uh, if you study these things, Paul starts to interchange the word many and the word all in three different cases, in three different times in this 
two or three paragraphs. So we would have to understand what Paul is getting at by many and what Paul is getting at by all. And it does not mean that only some sinned and therefore only some are offered salvation. It does not mean that. Because if many means those who sinned, then only many sinned. But we all don't believe that. We know that it's not true. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned, okay? So follow with the many's and follow with the all's and you'll get, you'll get Paul's meaning. So Christ's gift, it abounded to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. This is fun because when Paul says they're not like each other, we need to study why they're not like each other, right? We need to dive in and go, those, I'm not sure what you're saying, Paul. What he is saying is that on the transgression side and on the gift side, they're different. And here's how they're different. The transgression, one transgression brings about death. What's the ratio? One to one. All have sinned, and every transgression brings about death. But look at what makes the gift so different. The gracious gift of God abounds over all transgression. You need to think about this for a second. The gift of God is different from the transgression. You sin, you should die. That's the way the Bible says it's to be. You sin, you should die. But here's the glorious nature of God. His grace so abounds, it covers every sin. Did you know there's no amount of sin that can be piled up, no amount of sin that can be heaped up that God's grace does not abound over? That's a powerful truth. So we just said that Macy died when she was baptized. She was buried with Christ, and so was her sin, past, present, and future. Because 2,000 years ago, I would argue before the foundation of the world, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a cross to abound over who cares how much sin. It doesn't matter. He wins. That's what we should remember about all. So, this beautiful truth is amazing. And then Paul goes on. After he's communicated this, he says, verse 18, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, because all have sinned, right? We just read that. To all men. So who does condemnation belong to? All men. Who is all? All. It's amazing how deep this is. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Because the act of Jesus covers all sin. It does not matter. You can't out-sin his mercy, his grace. It's a powerful truth. Then Paul changes what he says, the very next line. But he doesn't change his meaning because the word does not contradict. For as many, uh, For as through the one man... One man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Does Paul mean only many were made sinners? Or does he mean all are sinners? He says all are made sinners. So it's not many, therefore the next piece is all. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many, and why we understand this is those who believe by faith. That's why that's said there. Those who put their trust in God. One, the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. 
God wanted to shut everybody up under sin because there was always the one guy in the church service who wouldn't raise his hand, like Mark Ryan. So God said, fine, I'll throw the law in there. The, the transgression increases, but where sin increases, read that out with me, church, grace abounded all the more. Wow, that is a powerful truth. So no matter how much sin you mount up, grace abounds all the more. Beautiful picture, right? So, he goes on, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this is where we dump out into chapter 6 and where we have to begin to understand living a life by faith. This truth is what we live by. Just as Jesus, 2,000 years ago, said, I died for you, trust me. I died for you, trust me. The same God said, my grace abounds over all sin. Trust it. Trust it. You know why people live in guilt and condemnation? Because they don't have faith. It's not that they have a faith on a scale of 1 to 10 down at a 1. What I'm saying is that they've begun to not believe the truth at all. They have rejected the idea that God says, I don't care how big the pile gets, my act covered all sin. It wins no matter what. Just believe. That's back to where scripture uh, doesn't turn us into universalists. That God says, well, he just saves everybody and it doesn't really matter. We're in, nobody's a universalist here, at least not that I know of, because the sovereign God made the condition. And that is, trust me. How many of you know not all trust God? It's a pity. It's a pity. But the many do. But the many do. And that is a powerful, powerful truth. So, with this understanding, we walk by faith. Every day, we should get up in the morning and understand that God's grace abounded all the more over all sin. No matter what it is. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Christ abounded, his grace abounded all the more. Should that prevent you from repentance? No. But see, even a question like that, the illogic of that question, well, then I guess I don't have to repent because God loves me, right? The illogic of that question is what Paul gets to in the very next chapter, okay? So think about this question. He says in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? What's his response, church? May it never be, right? Oh, so uh, if grace abounds over all sin, I should probably not repent, right? <laughs> That's just, it's, this is wrong-headed. It doesn't make any sense, right? Same as saying, should I continue to sin that grace might abound? No. Now, does, does the mercy of God, does the grace of God abound over all sin? Yes. Should you continue to sin to prove it? <laughs> Why do we do it then? Why do we do it? I don't really know the answer to that question because it's different for almost every individual. Like, why do you do that? Because I just wanted to be stupid today, right? Why'd you do that? Because I don't like God right now. Right? What? This is, what are you doing? Okay, so chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who, read it with me, church, died to sin shall live in it? Second way that we walk by faith is believing we're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. 
You're dead to sin. How many of you hear the statements? Well, nobody's perfect. Well, nobody's perfect. How many of you have said it? Be honest with me. Raise your daggone hands. Anyway, okay. okay. So, so uh, nobody's perfect. And you know what that comes to mean? That comes to mean, that comes to be as an excuse to say, I'm not really dead to sin. That's a lie. It's a lie. And what you're believing is what the enemy says and not what the God of the universe says. I just want you to parallel these two. If God said by his spoken word and by his act on the cross 2,000 years ago, I died for you, rest in it, and you say, without that, I go to hell. And the same God says, trust me, you're dead to sin. Why is it we believe one and not the other? Why is it that we believe one and not the other? This is what you need to ask yourself every day of your life. You and I are dead to sin. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Now, this is where it's going to get really sticky and hard for people to wiggle out of this. Verse 4, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. Stop there. Show of hands, how many of you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead? You know how important this truth is? Out of all the truths of the Bible, this is the one that Paul says, mark his words. If your faith is in Christ and in this life only, you are of of all men most to be pitied. Track what he said, don't miss it. He said, if your faith is in Christ... But in this life only, you are to be pitied. You can believe in Jesus and not believe in the resurrection. And guess what? Your hope is only for today. And that's sad. That's sad. The resurrection is the most important component of our belief. Because without it, what happens? We're still dead in our sins. We're still dead in our trespasses. This is a problem. So you can believe in Jesus and not the resurrection. And you have a problem. But God says to believe in his son and that he rose from the dead. And you have life with him. So when Paul says in chapter 6, he says, verse 4, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead of which you all said you're sure of which you all said I agree it's all or nothing look at what the next line says that he was raised from the dead through the glory of the father so we too by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life and might there doesn't say maybe we could it means you've been opened to you have been allowed to barney this morning in his devotion uh before we're calling it uh pierce point sunday school because that's actually what it is so anyway if you want to come 9 30 in the morning barney gives a great lesson uh from the psalms and apparently we're going to be in the psalms till i die but anyway so um it's, it's awesome it's awesome but in his in his uh devotion this morning in his lesson for us this morning he talked about the door of the tent being rolled open being being pulled away so that the light could shine in this is what might means in this context you you have, Jesus rose you to newness of life that you might. The light is shining in you. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the ability. It's amazing. Do it. And here's the sticking point. If Jesus rose from the dead, and that's non-negotiable, then you are alive. So here's the problem. 
The problem is that we walk around going, I can't beat sin. I can't overcome sin. I can't defeat this. I can't do this. You're asking too much of me. Nobody's perfect but Jesus. That's what that means. Be righteous as he is righteous. Be perfect as he is perfect. It means that he is perfect for us. No, Paul said you're obligated to do what he said. It gets really fun here in a second. But the point is this. Did Jesus raise? Yes, he did. Is that sure? Do you have faith in that? Then you need to start having faith that you can say no to sin. So what does the church say today? Church says, this guy's advocating for sinless perfection. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not. I'm not advocating for sinless perfection. I'm telling you that you have been imputed with righteousness and perfection and holiness through Christ. But he has called you to walk like it. He's called you to walk like it. And he's empowered you to walk like it. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful, beautiful truth. So we don't have to worry about the the naysayers. Oh, he's talking about sinless perfection. No, I'm telling you, Jesus said, Paul said, you're dead to sin and you're alive through the power of the glorious Father. You take it up with him if you don't want to obey. You take it up with him if you don't want to do what he says. You see, God has called us to so much more, church. He's called us to a life of righteousness and holiness and godliness beyond imagination because he's empowered us to this. So this, he goes on, and he says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, is that true, church? Yes. Certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Is that true, church? Yes, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Is that true, church? Yes, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. But yes, yes, it might be done away with. It is, you are able to do away with it through his power, through his spirit, which resides in you, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Is that true? Yes, you're no longer slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. I love it. I love it. But you know what half the church does? Half church says, it's just too hard. You know what the scripture responds with? You won't face a temptation that's too hard for you to handle. God will give you an out. Why do I keep succumbing to temptation? Here's the answer. Because you want because you want to. That's the answer. Who's to bl- We live in a culture. Do you guys know that we live in a culture that blames everybody else for their problems? Yeah. Right? Right? The reason I'm the way I am is because my mama didn't do something right. My daddy didn't do something right. And sadly, when we come, people like that come into the church, what we do is we say, my sin nature won't let me do it. Your sin nature's dead. You just don't believe it. You just don't believe it. And so you need to wrestle with this, church. You need to wrestle with this because you will not find one passage of Scripture, not one in context, that tells you, ah, it's just the way you are. You're just always going to wrestle. You're always going to do this. Even the Apostle Paul, one chapter later, speaks of his old self versus his new self. The old self who couldn't do anything right and the new self that praises Jesus for setting him free. It's an absolute beautiful, beautiful truth. So here's the way I want to wrap this up. Turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. 
I'm going to read you quite a bit of scripture, and I'm going to give some commentary in the midst of it. But I want you to see just how beautiful this truth is. And I want you to see where I, as your pastor, as your friend, as a person who loves you deeply, um, believes you actually to be. It's very easy for a pastor to get up and start preaching with force and preaching with a loud voice and for people to think what he believes is that I'm a no good, dirty, rotten, I never get anything right kind of person. Actually, I don't believe that about our church. What I believe about our church is that we have a group of people that have been born again, have been bought at a price, and deeply, deeply, deeply want to please their Heavenly Father. Is that true? Yeah. I have to go based on you in order to do this. Now, there's some of you I might not know very well, and that's the hiccup of modern-day church. The hiccup of modern-day church is that we don't have fellowship like we used to. And so because we don't have fellowship like we used to, there's no way for people to know if there's fruit in our life. There's no way to know if you're striving to to bring glory to God. There's no way to know if you're just hiding your sin uh, at home. There's no way to know because we don't have good fellowship. And we need to to capture that again, amen? We need to capture that. But here's, here's what Peter says. The same Peter, not contradicting the Apostle Paul, but confirming everything he says, says this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, starting at verse 2. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What are the tools that you needed to live a godly life? Every tool that God had. And what tools did God give you? Every tool he had. You have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. You are not equipped with all knowledge, or uh, you're not equipped with all tools because you're smart enough. The true knowledge of him is that you have been bought at a price. You have come to know Jesus. You are saved. Verse 4, for by these he has granted to us his precious, by what? His glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, one of which was the Holy Spirit of God. We have a helper. We have an advocate. We have one who is, who is interceding, who's fighting on our behalf, okay? So that by them, all those promises, you may become partakers of what? The divine nature. Ain't nobody perfect. Nonsense. Nonsense. Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You know you don't have to succumb to lust? You know you don't have to? You don't have to, okay? Read up on James, read up on Hebrews, read up on what these different writers say about us putting to death these things because they, they don't have dominion over us. Verse 5, now, for this reason also applying all diligence. How much diligence should we apply, church? All, all diligence. How much? All. See, you're still not applying all to your response. So how much? That's what I'm talking about. All diligence in your faith, in your what? In your faith. What is that faith about? The assurance that I'm dead to sin. The assurance that I'm alive to God. You know what? If I don't have that assurance, I won't give all of my diligence to it. I'll keep thinking I'm a failure. I'll keep thinking I can't overcome. But we are more than conquerors. 
Ah, it's amazing, isn't it? So here he goes. Now, for this reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Now, Jesus will do it for me. He said do it. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. Whose control? (laughs) I love it. Okay, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance... Oh, no, not that word. Godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. I just want you to understand something. The world wants everybody to love everybody. And there's the path to love. That's the path to love. You don't get to say, I love people. Nonsense. Nonsense. Not the way God has called us to love. And this is how love comes. Verse 8. For if all qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten all that word. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now just to rest your mind. Does it say having lost his former purification? It doesn't say that. It says having forgot it. Here's the place that I find most of the church to be in. They've forgotten what they're to have faith in. They've forgotten they have been bought from their sins. We have forgotten that we have been raised to new life. We forgot. And what does Peter say? He says, oh, you've forgotten. You've forgotten. I want to remind you. Now look at the, the, this salvo that he ends with, this thing that he just kind of puts out there. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Oh, sinless perfection. You will never stumble if you'll trust God. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, follow it along. I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. You've been established in the truth. It's present with you, but I'm going to remind you anyway. I consider it right. It's right for him to do this. As long as I am in the earth, in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. You know who doesn't like being reminded of their calling? People proud and in sin. That's who doesn't like being reminded. Those who are humble and know their place and know that we're people and we forget and although our, although our uh, how-to is there, it's clear in Scripture, our want-to sometimes gets lost. Mm, that's a problem. That's a reverse from what I normally say, right? But our want-to seems to get lost at times. We need to be reminded. But if we are the people that God has called us to be, humble, then guess what we'll do when we're reminded of these things? We'll say, yeah, I, I want to I do what he says. I want to honor him. In the modern church, when you're reminded of these things, what do you do? You pack up your belongings, you zip up your Bible cover, and you go to the church down the street. Yeah. But what you ought to do is just humble yourself and realize we all need reminded. We all need reminded. My heart towards you is that I believe you to be a people who deeply want to honor God. I also know you to be, as I am, a person who forgets. Amen?
It's true. Romans 8, here's the closing passage. Romans 8. Starting in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, because what happens when you are baptized in Christ's baptism? The baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Jesus. That's a problem. Okay? Verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the, dwell de- 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 from the dead dwells in you, I'll get it out, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And look at the next line. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. We are under obligation. You don't just get to do whatever you want. Ah, grace, yippee. You are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, sin is dead, the deeds have to be put to death every day of your life, you will live for all For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. This is an amazing thing because here's what we've learned. We're justified by a gift of grace. And we're also called to service through that same gift. We're called to reflect our Heavenly Father who is good. Amen? Amen. Is God a sinner? No. Does He sin? No. Has He ever sinned? No. What should His children look like? him. Should we walk away from sin? Yes. Can we walk away from sin? Yes. Do we need reminded to walk away from sin? Yes. But God has called us to this church. We are under obligation to honor him, to obey him. Because as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, it's beautiful for us to remember that God is our father. It's beautiful for us to remember that imagery. It's it's a way that humans can get this, right? But we must never forget he is God. He is righteous, he is judge, and he is allowed to command. He is allowed to demand. He is allowed to call you to certain things. And you are obligated to respond. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.